0: It's interesting, I'm going to talk about faith this morning. And I was going to say, and I am going to say, you know, if I had a faith gauge on my forehead so you could all see, so you could see beyond the whatever that is, beyond the smile or whatever, you could see where Mike's at today on his faith level. Is it always pinned way over there beyond full? Well, if you could see it, you'd probably know that there's probably not any two days that are saying the same, quite honestly. You know, we have those mountaintop moments with God. I felt like I had one this morning. It was awesome. You have those mountaintop moments where you might might be crying out to God and you see him move and respond In a way that even surprises you, even though it might have been what you were hoping for and expecting, but you're still surprised by his goodness and his love for us. There are so many times in my life over the years that, you know, I've been put in situations that scared me to death. Scared me to death. Because I felt so inadequate. what I felt like he was saying we were supposed to do. I remember one time I was in Costa Rica, a group of 10 pastors, five Mexican pastors, five English pastors, putting on a conference. And I felt like, why am I even here? And I remember that night praying with people, thinking, oh boy, what's going to go on? First person I prayed for happened to be the pastor's daughter. You know, in my kata state of mind, that was not a good thing. I laid my hand on her forehead, and she fell to the floor, foaming at the mouth, shaking. Just knelt down and commanded whatever spirit it was to leave. And In a matter of moments, this young girl, 14-year-old girl, 15-something, she stood up, and she's smiling, and I'm thinking, Oh, God, you did amazing work in spite of me. And this happened so many different times. I remember Paul Swift. Is Paul here today? Oh, golly. That guy put me in a real predicament down in Mexico. Some of you were with us on the mission trip. The pastor on stage introduced that he had a prophet from America. And I'm looking around thinking, I'm the only one here that's not supposed to be here. This is not a good thing. Paul leans over and says, he wants you to come forward and prophesy over everybody. I don't know about you, but I about, well, I was scared. So I was hoping nobody would go forward. They knew what I knew. I had nothing for them. Nineteen people came forward and stood in the front row in a long line, and the pastor goes, just start here and go all the way down. You can't imagine how I was praying inside. I've never done anything like that before or since. Never. Don't even think you're going to line up. <laughs> never. I'm praying I come to the first person and it was just astounding. God gave me a word and another word and another word and another word. And by now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe they seem to be receiving. Went through the whole line. God built my Faith. At that moment, I'd have have pinned it past full and I started just a little bit above the red or maybe in the red. It builds your faith. We've seen things here at Victory, seen things this morning that build your faith. God does amazing things. But you know what? I've also had those moments that aren't mountaintop experiences. I know you have too. Those moments when you were doing everything you knew to do, believing with everything you thought you had in you, trusting, believing, and it didn't go the way that we'd hoped and believed for. And at that moment, it was like, Lord, what went wrong? I thought you said, I thought you promised. And your faith can ebb. And I think if we were honest, all of us go through those moments. And I believe the reality is, in this life on this earth, in this fallen world we live in, with an enemy that wants to destroy us at all times, he can hardly wait to pile on. There are times when we are battling for our faith. When these kinds of things can happen that there's a battle between faith and unbelief and it seems to intensify what you do at that very moment really sets the groundwork for what's going to happen in the future the title of my message this morning is the ebb and flow of faith now I hope you're not discouraged if you think I'm filled with faith all the time I just ruined that I believe it ebbs and flows. We're going to look at a story this morning in Mark chapter 9 where I believe the disciples' faith might have been shaken, but I know there was a father who was concerned about his level of faith. But I want to set the context for it in chapter 9 because chapter 9 starts out with the transfiguration of Jesus. If you're not familiar with the Bible stories, I encourage you to go to Mark chapter 9 and read this story because I, I probably should... Who knows? I may go back. It's such an amazing story. But Jesus takes three of his disciples. Peter and John and James. Goes up a mountain. And one of the gospels says the guys fell asleep. They seem to have a habit of that. And they woke up. And there's Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And they look at Jesus and he it's the brightness of the light. It was pure white. And we see in the other Gospels, they were talking to one another. Wouldn't you like to know what they were saying? Well, if you go to Luke, you can find out. They were talking about, in Luke, it says, what was coming for Jesus' ministry. This amazing event where God's glory shows through. And then we switch to a story right after that where we see nothing but the dark side, until the very end. I want to just compare and contrast the first 13 verses with verses 14 through 31. On the mountain, it was visions of glory, the glory of God. And when they come down the mountain, you're going to see a conflict with someone where there's satanic possession occurring. On the mountain it was Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Wow, wouldn't you like the eavesdropped on that conversation? You come down the mountain and you've got chaos. You've got a bunch of unbelieving scribes hoping to trap you and and they don't believe. And you go from this picture, almost a a foretaste, if you would, of the glory of heaven, what Jesus had before he came to earth, what he set aside. And then it finishes up with the voice of God once again testifying, this is my beloved son. And those three disciples were there for all of it. The other scene, we see something different. It's a scene of pain, it's a scene of weakness, We see a group of disciples that are restrained by the power of Satan in a young boy. They're unable to bring relief. I think there's a picture there we can even see in the contrast, actually a couple of them. The first one is, there's no picture that's adequate, but it's almost a picture for us that the glory of Jesus that he had in heaven... Before he ever came to earth, where there is such pain, such evil, such despair. Like I said, it's not a great picture of that. Nothing is. But I think there's another picture there for us. We can see kind of what the Christian life looks like. Kind of what I just described to you in my own personal experiences. The mountaintop experience The glory of God seems to manifest. God is doing amazingly, wonderful things. And over here, we're working. We're struggling. We're dealing with life issues. We're dealing with sorrow and sickness and disease. The Christian life. And I just want to hope and encourage us that that's normal, people. You're not the only one that battles with that. We are going to have, and a matter of fact, I believe this is the rule and this is more the exception in the life that we live day to day, the ebb and flow of faith. We'll start reading in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on most of it. I want to get to verse 24. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, when they came to the other disciples... This is the next morning. They're coming back down off the mountain. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And there's the other disciples. And they saw a large crowd gathered around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. This would be the scribes. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed, and with wonder, they ran to greet him and meet him. Jesus, said, what are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not do it. There are so many things in there that we could look at in greater detail, but I want us to look at, first of all, and primarily this, the point, I believe, is the inability, the impotence of the disciples to manifest the power of Jesus when the need arose. The power that Jesus could manifest anytime he wanted. and maybe taking it a little too far, and there's my caution, but maybe it's a picture for us of what can happen to a believer when the presence of Jesus isn't with them. We forget, we get lackadaisical, we take things for granted. Jesus' presence was not with them, for it looks like just a day. The power that they needed wasn't there. I believe for a believer, that's the reason I don't want to spend much time in this. I believe that's one of the reasons the day of Pentecost is so important. The day of Pentecost, when Jesus said, Hey guys, I am leaving, and this time I'm not going to come back for a while. I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. My presence will be with you. I'm going to the Father, and He's going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. My Spirit, the Spirit of God. And when He does this, you are going to be endued with power from on high. The power that will enable you to carry out the ministry that I'm calling my church to. Mark chapter 9, verse 19. Jesus says, remember the last part of the, verse 18, I asked your disciples to deliver my son and they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now there's some discussion and controversy over who he's talking to who is he calling that unbelieving generation? Some people say from Mark chapter 9 that he maybe was addressing the scribes or maybe he was addressing the crowd or the people or just maybe he was addressing those disciples. I personally think he was talking primarily to his disciples. One of the reasons I think that is Matthew and Luke don't even mention the scribes being there, but they quote Jesus calling them unbelieving generation. I'm not talking about not believing who Jesus is. I'm talking about believing what Jesus has said and promised and taught them. You know, they should have been confident. If you want to know why, just write down this, Mark 6, 7. That's where Jesus sent out the disciples, the twelve and he told them to go and his authority and his power and go and cast out demons. And I think it's about 13 or 14 somewhere. And it says, and they cast out all kinds of devils. So this wasn't new for them. They had been commissioned by Jesus to do this, given the authority to go and do this. And they had done it and had succeeded. And now they couldn't do a thing with this one. Why not? Well, it's clear from the way Jesus starts that verse. He says, unbelieving. The problem here wasn't a power problem. It was a faith problem. It was not a power problem. In verse 20, it goes on and says, so they brought him. Bring the boy to me, he says, and they brought him. And when the spirit, meaning the evil spirit, the demon, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Some translations say have compassion instead of take pity. Again, every one of these verses, we could go in so many directions, but the one that stood out to me this time was, how long has it been in your son? What was his answer? From childhood. Childhood. That was like a warning for me as a parent or a grandparent. I hope it is for all of us. It's never too early to start praying over our children. It's never too early to start teaching our children. It's never too early to help them understand the power in the name of Jesus. This child has been tormented since childhood. Now, believe it or not, some people actually use this scripture to denounce the power and ability of Jesus. They say this. Listen to those symptoms. What were they? Fell down, foaming at the mouth, thrashing around. Sounds almost like a grand mal seizure of someone who has epilepsy, doesn't it? So Jesus didn't really do anything. The seizure just ended. That's what some people say. We need to believe and understand, and I believe we've all experienced this. Satan will attack us in those areas of vulnerability in our life. If you start sliding in despair, oh my goodness, guess what? That slippery slope can accelerate so fast because the enemy comes and just piles on. We get a symptom or something of a disease, and all of a sudden, here comes the enemy with all kinds of lies piling on. He usually uses those areas of vulnerability in us. So to me, it doesn't make a bit of difference if that was an epileptic seizure or not. The reality was, if you read the whole verse, whatever it was was throwing him in the fire and throwing him in the water, trying to drown him and trying to kill him. That's not an epileptic seizure. The power of Jesus is going to be demonstrated. And I think his parents, those words from childhood. And the father just says and cries out to him, take pity. Have compassion. You can heal him. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Now, I don't know what your translations start with. They're... Mine says, if you can. Some say, if you can, with an exclamation point. Some just put a question mark there. On this slide, I put in parentheses in the back black print. If you look at the literal translation, it doesn't say, if you can. It says, if you are able to believe. I think that's an important difference. When I look at it in my Bible, my translation, it says, if you can, with an exclamation point, it's like like Jesus is stepping back in indignation saying, what do you mean if I can? Or if it says a question mark, if you can, it really questions the Father's sanity in coming to Jesus in the first place. If you don't believe you can, why are you wasting your time? If you are able to believe And then he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. That's not heresy, people. Saying that prayer is not heretical. Saying that prayer doesn't mean you have no faith. Saying that prayer doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. Saying that prayer simply means, God, I have so much faith, I recognize I don't believe all the things the way that I probably should. And I need your grace to believe. The level of faith I believe in all Christians, it's not a constant thing. We all have a level of authentic believing faith. Okay, I'm not talking about that. If you're a Christian... That level of authentic, real believing faith for your salvation is there. It's firm. I believe no one can pluck you out of his hand. I believe you are saved. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is beyond that. Our faith in his promises, for example, can raise or lower, it can ebb and flow like the tides in the ocean, it can increase and diminish. There are moments in the world when our faith, my faith, has been assaulted by the enemy. I feel like I am hanging on by a thread or my fingertips. Does that make me a bad Christian? Did I somewhere lose my salvation? I don't believe so at all. I believe that makes me human. We are living in a fallen world. We're in this world where Satan is called the prince of this world. It's all going to change someday, but for now, that's where it is. And I live in this world, and you live in this world. Our faith, my faith, isn't always perfect. Sometimes it's weak. And I pray that prayer. Lord, help me in my unbelief. I pray that prayer not in fear. Although i got to admit, fear creeps in once in a while. But I pray that prayer knowing I'm a child of God and I belong to him and he is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. But I'm looking at the situation and I'm wrestling with believing his promises at that moment. Hope I'm not the only one. Or I wish I was. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? I hope I can say this clearly. You just can't decide to have faith. I can't decide to have faith in something I don't believe in. How much faith you or I have, how strong our faith is, I don't believe it has anything to do with your decision because faith doesn't come from a decision. Where does faith come from? What does the Bible say? Faith comes by Hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. That's where our faith comes from. And Mark, the kind of the overriding theme for me is the Word of God is powerful and amazing. When our faith is waning and when it's hanging on by a thread, I know what I have to do. I have to get in the Word and be reassured by the promises of God. I can trust His Word. It doesn't change. The circumstances out here don't change, but as I start feeding on the Word of God, God uses it. His Holy Spirit uses it in us, in me, to start to build my faith back up that I can be an overcoming believer. But at that moment, I need His help. Having a strong faith and overcoming faith, even though faith is a grace gift by God, requires us To be in the word. Be in prayer. We'll see in a minute or two. Fasting is not a bad idea. Why? It's not a formula. All of those things draw us closer to Jesus. Get our eyes back on Jesus. The source of everything. When our faith is at war with unbelief. God uses these things. I knew who this man knew where to go to. He went to Jesus. And he says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. He went to Jesus. And I'm going to look at what happens next from just a little bit of a different perspective. So, you know, check it out and challenge me if you'd like. But in Mark... Chapter 9, verse 25, it says, When Jesus saw that the crowd was running towards him. Now remember, what did the verse right before it end with? Help me in my unbelief. The crowd comes running towards Jesus. He re, and it says, He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that the, many of the people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. Help me in my unbelief. Now, here's where my imagination's kicking in. I'm going to pretend I'm Jesus right now, okay? Scary, isn't it? I look at them and say, how's your faith now? Did that work? Did your faith grow? he went to Jesus and said help me in my unbelief and Jesus just speaks the word and instantly the power is released and that demon tries with one last gasp because he knows his days over he tries one last time to hurt this child as much as he could and he's gone never to come back again why is it so far hard for us to trust Jesus now, I know some of you are sitting out there saying, I've never had a lack of faith. Bless you. <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they think. <laughs> but when you think about, why is it so hard? How many of you can believe in for your salvation that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? You don't have to raise your hands. I hope it's all of you. That's, there's nothing bigger, Right? Lord, can you heal? This bone in my hand That's really causing a lot of pain. I'm not sure he can do that. I don't know if he wants to do that. I don't know if that was under the atonement or not. I'm going to go to the doctor, and I'm not saying anything bad about doctors. Why do we find it? Tr- I think, I think, I really think this, that all of us have been so let down and disappointed by other human beings that we may have trusted that we had confidence in and we had faith in, and they let us down. And we seem to project that sense of insecurity or unbelief onto Jesus. We need to believe the word of God, that there he is faithful to every word. If he has a promise in that Bible, it is going to come to pass. You can trust him. You can't necessarily trust anybody else in this room because most of the time, they're going to let us down one way or another. It's going to happen. Jesus will not do that. You and I may think he did because he doesn't answer the way we want. Anybody besides me thought that at times? But he knows better. He sees the picture in terms of eternity. We see it in terms of the moment. He lasts out in the last verse. I want to look at his 28 and 29. So this has all taken place. What a scene. And it says, then when they got through with this, Jesus, it says, went indoors into a house. And his disciples asked him privately. Now I got to admit, I, I, I always try to put myself in a place of some character. And when this is happening, I'm sitting there thinking, now, I was casting out demons like crazy not that long ago. What happened? what happened so they get in Jesus in a private environment and they say why couldn't we drive it out and he replied this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting evidently this was a tough one why was it a tough one i don't know i think one thing we could maybe surmise is it had been in this boy since childhood Deeply established, deeply it, but I don't know for sure. But it appears in what Jesus is saying, this is a tough one. And I think we can make a mistake of thinking, okay, great, now we know the formula. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer, and then we're going to fast the day before, and then we're going to meet in the evening, and we're cast demons out of Mike. The formula's in place. It's not a formula. I don't believe it's a formula at all. What is it? I do believe some come out more difficulty, difficultly than others. But it's not difficult for Jesus. It's not difficult for Jesus at all. I mean, look how many words Jesus took to get rid of this demon. Get out, don't come back. Done. Amen. Oh, that it worked that way for me every time and you every time, right? But prayer and fasting. So what's the significance of the prayer and fasting? And I am making some assumptions again. But when I look at prayer, I look at prayer as a time of communing with God. My focus is on Him. I'm drawing closer to Him. Prayer. Talking to Him. Listening to His voice. What is fasting? Call it what you want, but the primary goal of fasting is to set aside time and focus on what? Jesus. Jesus. I believe maybe one of the significant aspects of this prayer and fasting is it's so easy, guys, in this world to get distracted. It's so easy to fall out of the habits that are necessary to keep our intimacy with Jesus the way it should be. To make sure that our faith gauge says full or somewhere close. That we can overcome when these challenges and attacks come. And I think maybe one of the things that we need to be doing in addition to being in the Word is spending time with Jesus in prayer and fasting. Because it drives our attentions back to Jesus. It's so easy during the day of our life to get so busy. You can easily go a day. Maybe you go a week. Maybe you've gone a month and you haven't even opened the Bible. Maybe your prayer is a short one over the dinner table. That's okay, but let's add to it. Have you ever sacrificed something, whether it's a meal or fasting from something else, and saying, you know, I'm not just going to avoid that. I'm going to use that time to focus on Jesus. Drawing closer to him. Knowing him better. It's easy to get careless in our spiritual walk. I don't know that that's what happened to those other nine disciples. But for whatever reason, they could cast out demons before, and they couldn't get rid of this one. Maybe they got a little lackadaisical when Jesus wasn't with them. Maybe. Do we get lackadaisical? We got to remind ourselves we have a mighty God, a powerful God, that he loves us, a father who is worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith, believing in him. He'll never let us drown. His promises are true, all of them, always, forever. We need to be able to do those things that he will use to build our faith. What is one of the primary things? Where do you go to get your faith built up? A word. A word. What does Romans say, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Not a lot of conversation, not a lot of TV or radio, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Our faith, I believe, will ebb and flow, but I want it to ebb as little as possible. In my life, and I hope in your life, And I really want to encourage you. I do not believe there is anything wrong with that short prayer. I believe, Father. Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray. God, it's sometimes hard to come up with words to describe you, to describe the kind of love that you have for us the mercy that you extend towards us, the grace that you pour out on us every day. Father, all we can do sometimes is just say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for rescuing us. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I I invite you in my own life and I pray for the lives of each one of us here that you would create that hunger and thirst for the word of God that we couldn't Go a day, a week, or a month without reading your word. God, that there would be an appetite for your word that we couldn't satisfy. We would want it more and more. And I pray, God, as we are in your word, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Give us understanding. Give us revelation. Give us wisdom. That our faith would be an overcoming faith. That our faith would be a blessing not only to us, but to to others around us. God, give us the faith to believe for the impossible, recognizing and declaring that you are the God of the impossible. So, Lord, I pray that we walk away today with faith rising up in us, with that desire for your word that will cause it to continue to rise. I pray for those that have been wrestling and hanging on to their faith by a fingernail. That they're encouraged that the promises of God are true. They'll never, ever let us down. I pray, Lord, wherever we go, that we can share these truths with those that we come in contact one way or another. Give us those divine moments, those divine opportunities. Give us opportunities to build relationships with people that we can share the insights that your Holy Spirit reveals to us. I pray, Lord, as we go our separate way today, you would go before us, watch over us, protect us, keep us safe for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Be in the word.